we did have people in the past who were like, well, I want my system to be 90% accurate. And then we're like, on what? And they're like, no, no, 90% accurate. And <laughs> it's like, well, that like, what, what you're doing with it, with your system will decide about how successful your system is. And um, that's what you want to measure and that's what you want to focus on. And I can see how this sometimes gets lost if you don't not thinking about it and if all you follow is like research, which is um, has kind of a slightly different objective because you're comparing algorithms. You're listening to Gradient Descent, a show where we learn about making machine learning models work in the real world. I'm your host, Lucas Bewald. Today I'm talking to Ines and Sophie. Ines is the co-founder of Explosion AI, which is a digital studio specializing in tools for AI technology. She's a core developer of Spacey, which is one of the leading open source libraries for NLP and Python, and Prodigy, which is a data annotation tool powered by active learning. Sophie is an NLP and machine learning engineer at Explosion AI, and she has more than 12 years of experience in NLP and machine learning, including in the pharmaceutical industry and the food industry. I'm super excited to talk to them today. Hi, I'm Ines. Uh, some of you might know me from Spacey, which is an open source library for natural language processing in Python. And our company is called Explosion. And we specialize in developer tools for AI, machine learning, NLP specifically. Um, and so we build tons of open source tools that are quite popular, which is really cool. And um, we also have a commercial product, which is called Prodigy, which is an annotation tool for creating training data for machine learning models. And it's a developer tool. It's fully scriptable in Python, so you can use it to custom to script your own custom data flows, uh, your own custom um, labeling recipes, put a model in the loop. Um, there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with it, and um, that's what we do. And we're currently working on version three of Spacey, um, which we're very excited about, um, and which really kind of finally take Spacey to the next level, um, let people use all this really new, um, modern, cutting-edge NLP stuff. And uh, we're also working on Prodigy Teams, which is more of a software as a service extension to Prodigy and really lets you scale up your annotation projects um, and um, you know, manage, manage large annotation teams, but without compromising on the data privacy and scriptability. Okay, so before we before we like jump into the um, the details of your library, just as a fellow entrepreneur, I, I have to ask, like, tell me the story of how did you start this and, and what was it like? Yeah, so I mean, Spacey started um, when, um, uh, well, my co-founder Matt left um, academia, so he was working on NLP. Um, he was uh, researching, publishing stuff, but um, he always uh, he always tells the story as like he got to the point where he had to write grant proposals, and at the same time, which yeah, he didn't want to do, and at the same time, he was realizing that people were using his research code in like production niche. Um, environments, which, um, you know, was kind of um, ridiculous because it's, we're still research cult. So it's like, well, there's clearly something there. So he left academia and started um, writing Spacey as an open source library. And then uh, shortly after that, we met here in Berlin and we started working together. And um, initially it was, I was working on more like um, visualizers for the library, which are still like um, an important part um, of what people like about Spacey. But I was a bit skeptical at first. Like, I'm, I'm not. I, my background is not um, NLP specifically. Um, I've always programmed, but like, um, I was. I did linguistics, but my first reaction was like, "Ah, it sounds kind of boring." I'm not sure. Really? <laughs> yes. So like, lit what quite literally. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, "Oh, I'd love to have this syntax visualizer," and I'm like, "I know totally what it is because I know like yeah, linguistics." But I was like, "God, that sounds. I don't know if I want to do that. I'd rather work with something else." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did, and it was good. 
Yeah. And it's still very popular, right? You know. Yeah, I feel like people still. Just, I think when people think about spacey, they think about our like um, syntactic visualizer a lot. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad worth, I did that's, it. That's my impression. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. <quite> beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's how it all um, started. And then at some point, we were like, well, okay, we you know we want to found a company around this, but we also knew we didn't want to go down this typical uh, startup route because we saw, hey, look, there's tons of money to be made. You know, you can, we can just run our company. We can actually, you know, we don't need to run at a loss. We don't need to have like you know, this crazy scale in the beginning. We can just build stuff and mm-hmm. make money doing it. So that's um, how we set up the company. And we're still, we're fully independent, which is cool and gives us a lot of um, opportunities. And we're now a small team of, I think, eight people at this point, um, including Sophie, who was, I think, one of our first uh, full-time NLP people who joined the team. Nice. And so, Sophie, how long have you been working with the team? Um, so, I guess I started working for Spacey at the beginning of uh, 2019, so um, almost two years now. Um, wow, yeah. I think I I met, met Aninas in a pub in Brussels yeah. <laughs> after I mean, an NLP meetup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not like we met randomly. <laughs> I see. No, exactly. But, so, there, there was definitely a theme to the, to the day, um, and I think I, I really loved their vision, not just for how to run a company, but also, you know, on how uh, you should iterate over data and your models and, you know, just, just this very pragmatic view on how to apply machine learning in, um, in, yeah, in an industry context, really. Yeah. Um, because I guess so, you've also seen yeah. like, um, seen this d- done okay, but also you've seen this done quite badly and yeah. maybe... Some yeah, context. exactly. Um, so my background is I, I, I do have a PhD in, in uh, bio-NLP, so on, on biomedical texts, uh, cool. but then I worked for Big Pharma for three years, uh, so J&J, and indeed there's many examples on how to apply machine learning models and how not to apply machine learning models. Um, so yeah, and I've, I've always been, um, you know, I think working in open source is just, is just the best thing there is, so um uh, they didn't need much convincing, I think. <laughs> to start well, we'll get into the technical details in a second, but I have to ask: so, how sure. do how do you make money? Like, how does your business operate? Yeah, we with these open we sell products? we sell a product. So we do this really crazy thing where we like sell something, and people give us money, and then we spend less money than we make, and then we make a profit. No, but it's, it's like awesome. so. Prodigy, you can you can buy Prodigy, and it's we sell Prodigy for a lifetime license, so it's a one time fee. Then, you know, a great thing about software, being in the software business is you can, you know, you can sell a piece of software and then you can sell it again. So software but you in do itself. have like a, you have an yeah. open source model, right? So what, yeah. I guess, um, how, what parts are open source and what parts are for sale? Um, so we've never really liked this idea of having this sort of freemium thing or this, uh, this, this kind of open core. Because um, the problem there is that like it introduces a lot of questions and it, it puts uh, you as a company in a very weird position because we want people to have a very easy time using our tools. Like we want our docs to be great. We don't want to sell help with our own software. So mm-hmm. if we did like the consulting model where we sold like stuff on top of Spacey, we'd constantly be in this position where we're like, well, if our docs are too good and our um, library is too good, nobody gives us money. But if it's too shit, then nobody wants our services because they're not going right. to use our tools. So we never wanted that. And then we also think this it's, it's kind of, it's always it has a difficult, there's always a difficult story around like an open source library. If you suddenly have these components that are free and al- in general algorithms is not really what I think is the thing that you should be selling there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's developer experience. That's something that, um, you know, makes companies a lot of money. That's something people um, will be paying money for. Just like, you know, that's big thing why people use and pay for weights and biases, for example, that's developer productivity. Same with data, anything around creating data. That's where, you know, the real customization comes in. That's the valuable stuff people are working on. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also where products 
maybe. So we always we have a separate product that probably you'd be interested in if you're a power user of our open source tools, but it's it's separate. Spacey is free. Um, the code is open source, um, and we sell additional products to it. And is the additional product Prodigy? Yeah, that's that's currently the one product we have. But um, we also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're working on Prodigy Teams, and that will have a more like SaaS uh, type of model um, that oh, people cool. will be paying for. I see. But Prodigy is like software that I could buy one time. Yes. Yeah. So you can you can go online right now, go into an online shop, buy it, download it, pip install it, use it. Gotcha. So that's also that was that's also the idea. We want to you know we really want to make the path. For a developer as like easy as possible and make mm -hmm. you know make it easy to start using our tools and then there's a lot more you know you can be doing and i guess the typical person that you sell to and the person that uses spacey is a uh, is someone working in natural language processing trying to build models do i have that right uh, probably developers at all kinds of companies from like top fortune 500 to like startups to um academics researchers also a lot of people are getting into nlp now who are not who don't have the classic machine learning background as in uh -huh. like oh uh by a computer science phd and then like startup or something it's a lot of people like in digital humanities um in from the medical field like there, there are lots of people entering the field now who, are, who want to solve problems. And that's what we also find very interesting because they bring in the domain knowledge. They have a problem they want to solve. They know how to solve it. And mm -hmm. then, okay, they're learning machine learning, which I would say is often a better path to success than coming from the other um, direction, knowing machine totally. learning and then thinking about what problem in the world can I apply to? Like, I think a lot of terrible products have been born out of, especially a very naive or um, <laughs> um, arrogant view on <laughs> approach to this sort of thing. <laughs> So Spacey, your library, let's talk about that. I mean, you know, I, I want to say before we talk about kind of the new things you're doing, um, maybe for someone who hasn't heard about your library, looked in detail, like what are the big components and what, what was it designed to solve? Um, well, Spacey was initially developed to really process large volumes of text at scale efficiently. Um, so, you know, you want to process the whole internet. Well, the internet's not going to get smaller. Computers are not going to get faster. So, you know, you want to have very efficient software to do it. Um, and it started out by just having, and, and also it's, of course, it was always designed to be used in production and in industry use cases, which was, um, especially at the time when we started, wasn't such a consideration. Most uh, code is written for research. So Spacey really took the, um, the other approach and said, okay, look, you want to process text and do stuff with text. Um, we're, all, we're giving you one implementation, which we think is the best. We're not mm -hmm. giving you like 50 parsers that you can all like benchmark and play with, we're giving you one that works best. So that's how it started. Initially, you know, we have different components for different things you can analyze about language from mm -hmm. starting with what's even a word. It sounds very basic. It's obviously a lot more complex than it sounds to um, what concepts are mentioned in the text. Um, what's the text about? What's a verb? What's a noun? How is stuff connected? And then various other things you can build on top of that. I think one of the main features in in version two of of Spacey that is that is currently um, uh, you know available is that there's a, there's a lot of pre-trained models for different languages. So people just can come and say, you know, I want this general purpose uh, parser that just parses my French texts and and tells me what the lemmas are, what the part of speech tags are, um, what the entities are like, which are persons in the text, and and these kind of things. Um, but I guess what we've seen over the years is that people are now wanting to more and more train their own models. So not we, we don't want just one French uh, model, right? I mean, there can be very different texts, like biomedical texts will mm -hmm. need a, quite a different parser than just your general domain English news uh, uh, or French news. Um, 
So I think this is also a little bit the shift to uh, version three is where we're making everything much more configurable so that people can also go and train their own models. And you won't just be limited to the pre-trained models that we'll have online, even though we'll still have them for people to quickly start with. Um, but they'll also, you know, get much more power over training their own models, I think. So I think this, oh, cool. this also sort of reflects a shift in how people are dealing with NLP over the, over the last uh, years. I feel like you've had front row seats to sort of the big shifts in, in language processing. And I feel like, you know, my impression from the outside is that, you know, some people might even, you know, skip the parsing step for a lot of applications. Like, are you seeing that? Like, how true is that? Um, it's difficult to say, you know, what, what all the different users are doing exactly, but th this definitely has also inspired the move to version three of Spacey. So the, um, uh, the, the transformers that uh, are being published by Hugging Face, this huge uh, repository of um, of models that are extremely useful for NLP, will basically become um, like available within Spacey three just uh, through through our um, Spacey transformers library. So it will just be you will you will just be able to sort of plug and play and and just put a transformer in your pipeline and use that. And if at that point you feel like you don't need a specific parser model anymore. I mean, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. you can definitely go and try that. Um, so you'll be able to just, you know, write your own model on top of a transformer output and, and see how well that does, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, but also I think another thing, like on that topic that we've seen is, while, um, of course, there are a lot of interesting things, especially in research um, of end-to-end -end things you can predict that are now, like, um, you know, really exciting and actually work. Like, you know, you can have, you can model, like, a really complex task and really predict it end-to-end. -end. You don't need to go via all these different components and stitch it together um, and that's very exciting um, that's one thing people might be doing but we've also seen that in more real life applications um, it's still often very very useful to have to di have different components that you put together that you can train on very specific data and also that you can um, you know adjust retrain um, and customize and that's um, also just because a lot of the things people are actually trying to solve in industry and in real life, um, so to say, um, are things that you just can't easily predict end to end and throw like a huge language model at it. And then that's it. Like that's, um, I mean, of course not, because otherwise those problems wouldn't be valuable and people um, and companies wouldn't be spending a lot of money on it. Like the most interesting and most valuable things you want to build are the things um, that are very specific. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for these, you often want the different building blocks um, you can combine and train. And that's also something we want to make easier um, going forward. Could you give me some examples of, of things like that, that, that companies care about, but maybe, you know, are, isn't as well studied in, in academic circles? Um, I mean, it's I wouldn't even necessarily say that it's something that's not studied in academic circles. It's more like, okay, often one thing that people always want to do is information extraction. You have, they've, companies have amassed text and text and text, and now you want to find something out about that text. And I think one example I sometimes use in my talks is, um, imagine you have all these financial news that you scraped and you want to extract company sales and you want to extract who bought which company for how much money and in which country and for what currency or something like that. That's like stuff in this sort of space is like endless and many companies want to do that. And mm -hmm. sure, it's something you can try to, you know, if you have a large, huge language model, you can try and just throw that prompt at it and come up with some some ways to prime the model. And maybe at the end of it, it will output your structured JSON representation that has all your data in it. But mm -hmm. that's often not the most efficient way to go about this problem. Like, you know, maybe you start off and you say, cool, I want to detect company names. Maybe for that, you could train a named entity recognizer to predict GitHub is a company, Microsoft is a company, whatever. 
Um, same works works quite well for money. Actually, probably in real life, you also have tons of noise. You want to train a classifier first to filter out whether something is actually even a text you care about. Then, okay, you have these random money values. You want to normalize them. Do you need machine learning for that? Maybe not. Probably there's a quite simple algorithm that can do that for you that you want to just combine. Uh, then you want to look up a stock ticker. That's not something you want to predict. Um, you know, you don't want to have like a sequence to sequence task or like or whatever. Or like, I don't know. You don't want to have a language modeling thing. And for that, you look it up in a database or somewhere on the internet. <laughs> and mm. then, you, then you want to put that all together and put it into like a structured format that then you can feed into your database. And mm. that's, I think, is a good example of, yeah, that's super common. Predicting this end-to-end -end is a really interesting research topic, but not a practical mm. approach. And it requires all these different components. And maybe some component in between is like, yeah, I hacked together a regular expression that does part of the job great and works uh 99% accurate what more can you want um and so that's that's how we see a lot of the you know, NLP done in practice well that's consistent with the the NLP that I've seen in my life so that makes total sense to me I guess what are the parts that um of that that kind of Spacey helps with that or, or what maybe what are the decisions that Spacey's made that might be different than a more research focused uh NLP library um, I think I would say the opinionated take on stuff. We're like, well, there's one, right? We're moving a bit away from that in version three, just by giving Yeah, I was going to ask, because like with Hugging Face, there's lots of choices. So how do you, I guess, how do you handle the tension between those two goals? Yeah, so I think, I mean, in general, we, we do want to give people the most reasonable default that works best because we think that's um, good. And even, for example, with the transformer integrations, we've actually ran, we've been running experiments. We've looked at what models actually work particularly well. So we can also provide like some guidance there and say, oh, you should, if you care about efficiency and um, uh, you want to use that language, probably use um, those pre-trained weights. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, more generally, we've always started out being quite um, opinionated and also uh, focused on efficiency. That's something, you know, that's that's not a, you know, and it's not a researcher's fault that like, oh, your thing is slow. It's like, well, yeah, that's not its job. Like its job is to produce these benchmarks so we can, you know, compare algorithms. That's That makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, that's not a problem that research has. It's just that, okay, if you want to actually use a lot of these things, you need to make choices and modeling choices that actually get your job done um, efficiently. So that's... Um, oh, I see. So even like yeah. picking models that will run efficiently. Ar architectures, um, how we set up, um, you know, the pipeline, for example, you know, a lot of um, uh, models will you know, have, have embeddings for each of the tasks they're doing and you have the embeddings copied for um, um, every component. Um, that can work, but makes the model quite large. You're always recomputing a lot of stuff. So we're thinking about, well, how could we make it easy to share some of these things for multiple components? So you're only computing the representations once, stuff like that. Those are all decisions that we have to think about that maybe for researcher, you know, doesn't matter so much. I guess one thing that I've always seen in, in industry caring more about maybe than, I mean, I feel like academics talk about uh, multilingual support a lot, but I feel like, you know, in the end, many, many papers are written on English um, corpus and, you know, there's good reasons why, I guess, but you know, it does seem like multilingual support is um, like front and center to to most big companies, right? Because you have, you know, text in, in multiple languages. Is that something that you've thought a lot about? 
So, yeah, so, sorry, I thought Sophie yeah. wanted to answer for a second. Okay, um, no, no, absolutely. I mean, we and also there's often more to um, supporting a language than just training on um, some random corpus that's available for the language. For example, you know, in Spacey, um, our, our tokenization algorithm um, mm-hmm. produces actual work, so it's linguistically motivated tokenization, and that also introduces a lot of um, you know considerations for like, okay, how do we deal with that language? What characters does that language have? How does that language normally work um, then to, okay, what data can we train on um, that actually is useful? Because that's also not necessarily, um, you know, the same across research um, and industry. But yeah, of course, there are lots of, you know, and it, it makes sense why everything is in English. Um, in, you know, research, it's not, you know, you can't fault uh, an individual researcher for um, evaluating and running their tasks on an English corpus because that's just where the competition happens. But um, right. Yeah, in in a more real life scenario, sure. And and I guess bioinformatics is kind of like in in between where it's you know maybe it's in the English, but it's just such a different <laughs> domain. Like, do you um, do you suggest that people use different models if they're working in that domain? How how do people think about that? Yeah, no, you'll definitely need different models. I mean, there's just so there's just such a difference in in grammar and the kind of entities and words that are being used in in biomedical. Um, Text and I think there's plenty of domains like that, like like finances and biomedical. These are all very different domains, and you really want to train your model on that specific domain. And um, so, so what we've seen is not just for the languages. We've we've seen a lot of community support. Um, like for instance, if I remember correctly, you know, the, the Japanese model uh, had had a lot of um, oh yeah, and Chinese Japanese as well. Yeah, and Chinese yeah. as well has a lot of uh, support from the community because obviously it's difficult with like not even ten people to be able to support uh, you know all of these different languages uh, if, if you want them to be uh, you know linguistically sound. Um, but for so for the biomedical domain, actually, there is even a plugin um, which we call. We have this list of plugins uh, that we call the Spacey Universe. Um, so people that just write different packages that plug into Spacey, and they have trained uh, specific models on for biomedical domains. So that's just perfect to then go and use that if if you or at least start from that if you're processing that kind of text. Um, so I think I think Spacey is quite nice in that sense that there's quite this big community uh, around it. That uh, yeah. So yeah, so that's that one that you mentioned is called. Uh... Size spacey that was developed, yeah. Um, yeah, by Market um, Allen AI, and um, there's also a project called Blackstone, which uh, does the same for uh, the legal domain. Um, and I think both of these are actually, I think, great examples because there's also when you look at the components that are implemented, you can see a lot of thought went into what these components should do and what's appropriate for that specific domain. Like, oh, what what does it? What do we need to do differently if we want to segment sentences properly in legal text? That, you know, if you want to do this well, you need to understand legal text and um, how these things are written. Um, what are the problems? Um, um, okay, maybe we can have or, um, this cool, there, there's this component for uh, resolving um, acronyms, I think, which is like um, uses um, a specific algorithm. And it's actually, it's pretty basic, but it, was, it, it, it can be implemented with Spacey and it just works, um, does the job, extends what's already there, but like, um, I think it's also, it's very interesting but to see these projects where you can really tell oh a lot of knowledge and insight about the field went into developing that specific um, uh, model and yeah that I guess that's where we're back at the hammer and nail um, type stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go a little deeper just because you were you know you were talking about this you know before and we were we were chatting about the the new spacey library and you're showing me um, you know all the stuff that it can do. Um, it seems like you put a lot of thought in a lot of different 
um, components. Like one that I just recognize as a, you know, someone who's also wrestled with this problem is your configuration system um, looks super cool with the nested configs and the way that, you know, you can put in like actual logic in there. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, I feel like people might not realize how complicated setting up configurations would be if they haven't um, yeah. wrestled with the problem before. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think I think personally, this is one of the biggest strengths of, of the new um, release coming up, the, the version three of Spacey, these, these configuration files. Because before that, we would just have all of these defaults uh, across the library, and then it would be difficult to, to really get at them and change them. And now, I mean, with the config system, uh, we basically just define all of the different components in a in a NLP uh, pipeline, um, so that you know exactly what is in there and what isn't, um, and that you can basically tune all of the different um, parameters of each component. And I think, um, well, uh, Ines. Uh, I think have, has worked the most on on actually the back end of this config system, uh. right, and, and getting it to work and all of the uh, you know uh, filling in defaults and and validation stuff. And um, I think we battled with it for a bit, but I think right now it's it feels very robust. And um, it just like the other day I was writing a config and and you make some kind of I don't know you write false with a capital or something such, and the, the system just automatically tells you this can't be right. I mean, did you mean a string? Is this a boolean? What do you want? And so it's it's <laughs> automatically it fails, and it's it's just yeah. it's, I actually think it's fun to work with because you get stopped very easy very early on in your. Um, in your experiment, you get this this feedback from is this a valid config or not, and can you can you continue with it? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I mean, uh, I'm sure. You yeah, want I think to just add, just add we have to accept yes. that bugs will happen and that um, things can go wrong, and especially I mean, machine learning is just hard and it's complex. Like all these, you you're basically passing these super abstract arrays and things with hundreds of dimensions from function to function. And then you're computing shit with it. And then you're passing that all the way back. And hopefully something comes out at the end. Like that is just like complex. So I feel like everyone, probably everyone who listens to this can relate to like debugging, <laughs> couldn't broadcast shape blah into shape blah. I mean, that's that just comes up and you're like, fuck, somewhere I have a bug. And then, and that's that, that happened like, all the time or it's like oh you have the hidden width set to whatever here and yeah. why does my yeah. thing not learn and why does it all fall apart it's like yeah because over there you need to set that same width and you don't because it uses the default uh, value of that keyword argument that you've set to minus one and that's just i don't know that, that's that, that was that just kept coming up and we're like well that yeah. sucks and um, mistakes will happen and problems will happen and stuff's not going to get less complex also you can't like you, you. You're not solving a problem by just abstracting away the complexity. That's another thing. If you you know if you see these config files and it has like every parameter defined, everything in there, you might be like, oh, but that's like super complicated. How is that easy? And it's like, well, easy doesn't always mean like, um, you know, no code um, out of the box. It's like you, you need to solve the problem, and that's something you can do by providing better developer experience, not just by blocking it away. Totally. So, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I, and I we, feel like easy. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say so. I think I, I'm not sure when we started implementing these configs. I think around January, maybe. So I think we've been working with them now for more than half a year ourselves. So I think that's also we we just saw what all the problems were and like these hidden, like the the parameter in that part of the config needs to be the same one as the nested parameter in that part. So we have all these referral mechanisms and and so on. So I think we've, we've sort of battle tested it by now that um, hopefully so these these um, uh, common errors don't pop up as much anymore. Yeah, but it feels kind of nice. Yeah, 
No, it's always satisfying. You build something and then you actually use it and you're like, oh, that actually works. I mean, not that it wouldn't have, but it's like, and I think, yeah, when we started playing with weights and biases, that actually also came up again because we were like, yeah, let's just log this whole config. And then we're like, oh, wow, now we can actually see how all of these values relate to each other. And it's just like works and it makes sense. And that was also very satisfying. Yeah. You know, it's funny what you're saying about the, um, some of the typing and some of the stuff you said earlier about wanting things to run fast kind of makes me wonder what you think about Python in general, because you know we've actually had some very strong different opinions from different <laughs> ML researchers that we've talked to. So I'm, I'm curious to get yours as an author of a, a Python, <laughs> famous Python library. What do you think about the language? I mean, the, the thing is, uh, well, Python was, Python is, of course, has won at uh, machine learning, however you want to call it. But it's, um, and I think it's surely, of course, because Python was there at the right time in the right place. Um, it had, it was fast enough. Um, it had support for C extensions, but it was also a general purpose language. Like that's something I always like to point out. The reason Python is popular and works and um, works well also for the type of stuff we're doing is that you can do all kinds of things in Python. You could, Python was really big for web development stuff before um, the machine learning um, thing started um, at scale. And um, that also means that it's a general purpose language you can learn and get into from even something else you're doing. And that's why an AI language has also never really taken off. It doesn't work. You want you want a general purpose language to write in. And I think that's um, why Python is so popular. And um, that's also why I like Python. And yeah, sure, you have to put some work into it to make it fast. Um, Spacey is, like in fact, Spacey is written in Cython, which is kind of this dialect of Python that lets you write C in Python, in the Python syntax. Um, so it's, I feel like kind of space is a bit known for like, Ooh, Siphon. And I, I feel like for some reason Matt has become like, um, <laughs> kind of known for like, Ooh, writing stuff in Siphon, which some people <laughs> still find a bit intimidating. Um, or like, I, I don't I, know, how, how did you feel about it? Because Sophie, you learned Siphon. Yeah. I, I, th I think you're making it sound uh, more scary than it is, Inez, because oh, really? I mean, not, the whole, not the whole of Spacey uh, no. is implemented in Cython, obviously. It's, it's just, you know, the, the parts that really matter efficiency-wise. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a very interesting question because, because uh, I myself, I actually come from a Java background, which mm -hmm. is obviously quite different. Um, so I think, personally, I'm, I'm really happy with a combination between Python and the typing system um, because you get a bit of, uh, you know, the, the goods of both worlds. Uh, you have you have Python, which just, I mean, let's let's face it, just programs much more easily than, than Java and there's just so much less overhead and, and so on. Um, so I, I definitely have, have come to, it's definitely grown on me. And um, I think the typing, I do really like it uh, because it's it just, especially with the whole, uh, if you're writing your own machine learning models and um, so our, our Think, uh, the, the library that we, our open source library for machine learning has all of these types also integrated so that if you're trying to combine layers that just don't have the right input and output uh, types, it, it will tell you again. And it, it won't just try to, you know, um, uh, propagate these meaningless arrays that have wrong dimension and then just scratch somewhere in between it, it will, it will tell you up front. So I think that that really helps and, and the type system yeah. really yeah, works. And I think there's, some, there's, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in the ecosystem. Like as a, yeah, it's still, it's still quite young. It's also the static mm -hmm. type checking, MyPy, that's all like under very active development. I'm just like Python itself really, but um, uh, it's very cool to see like some of the stuff actually work and like you know we're using a modern editor and like just seeing something underlined and you look at it and you're like oh yeah i passed like something wrong to this function that would have could have easily taken me like a long time because 
I passed a string and it should have been a list and a string is also iterable. Um, and, oh, yeah. you know, that, that, that's th those sorts of bugs that like everyone can, <laughs> can relate to. And like, that's, that's pretty cool. And also the ability to hook into those, into that system and into the static type checking via MyPy and implement your own plugins for your own libraries and use cases. I think that's something we're going to see a lot more of in the next couple of years um, as the ecosystem around this matures. Yeah. Do you see demand for um, other languages? Um, as in programming languages or using... Yeah, like, do people ever ask you, hey, could you support Java or... Um, um, I well, I mean, it's still the Python library, but that said, um, there's a very popular um, wrapper um, written in R, and um, that's still a very popular language. If anything, I would say, actually, in our like, space, this would be the other main blank language that people are working in. And sure, it might be biased because I don't know what people who are working in Java are doing because they're surely not using Python. So <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. It's like, oh, we never hear, hear from people who work in Java. Yeah, because they don't use our stuff. But, um, and you know, and that's fine. It's not, um, you know, fair enough. But, um, but yeah, the R, I think it's also because R and um, Python integrate quite well. So it's basically just this wrapper layer and it fits in with like, you know, a lot of people who are working and that's, uh, yeah, digital humanities, social sciences, they actually, um, it's, it's quite heavily R-based, um, but mm. they also have tons of text to analyze. So they often mm. then use Spacey via R. Yeah. Got it. Um, I guess, is there other things? Do, do, I mean, one thing that I kind of think of with your library and like configuration systems is um, a sort of like reproducibility effort and especially you know imagine like working um, with this range of people especially in academia but i think in um in industry too it's so important to have things um reproducible is there, is there anything else you're doing to kind of move things towards like making things like clear and reproducible yeah and no, I, I think that's that's definitely one of the main reasons for having the config like it is so that basically everything is uh, defined there and there's also you can just set your uh, seat of your random generator so that it should pretty much uh, be able to reproduce exactly uh, the same weights, even in the machine learning models and so on. So that is mm -hmm. definitely something that we care uh, deeply about as well. Um, yeah. And yeah. of course, another part is that, um, well, it's not just the model you're training. There are always these different components. You have the data you're downloading mm -hmm. and loading in. You have um, some other script that you just need to pre-process something and so on. Um, and so another feature of Spacey3 will be uh, what we call Spacey Projects or project templates. So it's a CLI um, interface that lets you work with more end-to-end -end workflows. So you can really mm. define, because often, yeah, you don't just run one command. You run a pre-processing step. You download something. Then you train and you want to evaluate. Sometimes you also just want to, you only want to rerun the training if your data changed or if something else changed um, or if your results changed. So there are all these depend interdependencies, and um, that's something we felt like was quite difficult to do fast internally as well. So that's what motivated um, this idea. And so, you know, you can have, it, it, you kind of think of it a bit like a CI config. Like if you've ever configured like something like Azure Pipelines or Travis, or, I mean, if you haven't, um, well, I guess you're lucky you never had to wrangle with like uh, <laughs> CI. <laughs> Maybe it is one of these things where I'm like, oh, I, I know way too much about these things that I, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, and you just basically any system that lets you define like a series of steps. Um, you can have a file to do that. Um, you can download um, data or anything else, any weights you need. And mm -hmm. then you can upload that to a GitHub repo. We're, we're going to provide like lots of templates you can clone. And then that also makes it very easy for people to get started 
or even something as basic as a benchmark, you know, we're just currently running benchmarks, of course, because we need to test all, um, you know, the stuff we've built there and we don't want to launch without having some numbers, but that makes it very nice because we have the steps defined, we have the data defined that's loaded, we have the processing script defined, we have everything up to the random seed set, so anyone running that should be able to reproduce that. And so if you say, hey, cool, I would love to run these benchmarks, you can do Spacey Project clone, benchmark, whatever, downloads it, kind of like Git, then you know you run assets, you run a named workflow, and then it just runs it. And then you can rerun a step. It will only rerun if actually things changed. And then in that, that system also makes it very easy to integrate with other libraries. Like, for example, oh, you can have a script that does something very, very specific you want to do with weights and biases that you wrote, you know, your custom function for that integrates with a config. Or we have one um, project that shows how you can easily have one step that serves your model using fast API, which is, yeah, what probably one of the uh, most popular tools and also the developer happens to um, be on our team. So uh, um, that's that's a very, yeah, people always like using Spacey and Fast API and often people have always asked about integrations and they're like, well, it just it just works. And that's actually something you'll be seeing in that integration. Like, well, is it even an integration? Because it just, it just works. So a Streamlit Visualizer, um, that's also uh, pretty cool. Like, you know, imagine you run your steps, train, you have your output, your artifact, and then you just run visualize, and then it spins you up this app. And plus tons of, I don't know, I don't even know what people are going to build with it. So that's, <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very excited. So that's also, yeah. That's super cool. Um, I want to make sure I, I, I have a little bit of time to ask you questions about um, Prodigy and data, because that is like, you know, my, my former life, I also yeah. <laughs> um, worked in the space. So I'm also, um, you know, super passionate about people getting good um, training data. I'm, I'm, Curious if you could tell me a little bit about how Prodigy works. Maybe does it does it integrate with Spacey in a special way? Or um, so yeah, we've obviously because we had, we developed Spacey. So uh, for the NLP capabilities and NLP workflows, we obviously had lots of opinions and ideas. So there are lots of workflows that use uh, Spacey. But basically, Prodigy the idea started well when we you know started working on models and things, and we wanted to we needed wanted to create our own data. And that was also at a time when we realized, look, you don't need big, big data anymore. You don't need billions of exa labeled examples. Like you can do that, but like often what you need is something very, very specific to what you're doing and you want to create that and you want to create like a lot of it and you don't want to have a meeting and outsource it and then get it back. And you're like, why is this so shit? And it's like, well, yeah, because you just asked someone to label all persons and didn't tell them what you wanted. And so they, you know, why are you surprised? And you paid them $2 an hour. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> surprised that like the core of your application is kind of shit if that's how you treat the data collection process. So anyway, so that's something we've we've also seen a lot. And actually very early on when we started a company, we did a bit of consulting uh, for about six months to, we, we call it, we raised the client round. So, you know, to get some money in and um, also to see what people are doing like in practice. And data collection always came up, every project. And um, also... Yeah, it, it showed that like iterating on this was very difficult because ah, people did it in a spreadsheet and then you're like, oh, but often we're like, oh, maybe you should try with that type of label scheme. Maybe you want to you know, change this around a bit. Maybe predicting something else is actually more useful. And that's that's something actually to go back to our industry versus research thing. That's another thing people often forget. If, if you're not in research, if you're in industry, you can choose how... Easy, you make your your problem. Like, you know, you don't you can't do that if you're researching stuff. You can't be like, oh, that task kind of sucks. I'll just do a different task. 
But if you are solving a problem, you can choose how easy or hard you're making it. And that, that, you know, that often needs trial and error and you need to try things out. So that's how Prodigy was born because we were like, we want a developer tool. Like labeling data needs to be part of the development process, at least initially before you scale it up. You want to be building these workflows and, you know, you, to, you want to write them in Python. You want to load a model. Maybe you have a model. You want to have the model present you with what, um, you know, the model thinks is like most likely correct. And then you can say, yep, no, yes, no. That's mm -hmm. you know, very fast. Or maybe you want to, you know, correct what a model does. Maybe you want to do something from scratch. Maybe you want to label entities, um, text categories, lots of things. So that's uh, that, that, that's what really motivated um, uh, the tool. And so in practice, it looks like this. You know, it's a Python library you install alongside your other stack. You can um, use it to start up the web server via the CLI. And then you have a modern web app with an interface that really, you know, focuses on one task at a time, doing it as efficiently as possible. You can move through label some data. If you're in a good flow, you can do like, I don't know, um, a few seconds per example. So it's actually, it's actually really viable to say, Hey, you spent like an hour and created data set of a few hundred annotations. And nowadays that gives you enough to at least validate your hypothesis. Like you'll have mm -hmm. some idea, Hey, how about we predict this as, um, a text classification task. And then like, is it going to work? Who knows? Like you have to try it. I mean, that's machine learning. Like, I don't know. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I think yeah. the other the other interesting thing is there is also that because we're targeting developers um, in NLP, I've I've spoken to quite a few people who are using Spacey in, in in industry, and what is interesting is when they go and just annotate a little bit of the data themselves in Prodigy, right? They they can script their own recipe and they can annotate a bit of data because that also helps you understand the domain better, and that that that's definitely going to help you model the challenge better. So it's it's really this fast iteration of how could I annotate the data? What would make sense in my machine learning problem? And basically knowing a little bit of the both worlds rather than indeed just having thrown some data over the fence and then trying to make sense <laughs> of that um, yeah. machine learning expert, uh, which just doesn't, doesn't work. So yeah, I think. And I feel like, I mean, another difference, you know, that you see in, um, I guess in, in real world, especially in NLP, right, is this sort of like, you know, like loop of like, you know, model gets trained, like a little more data gets collected in particular ways and model gets trained. I'm curious, how do your tools sort of support that kind of process? I'm, I'm sure you've thought a lot about that. Yeah, so it's like definitely this kind of continuous, that's first just making that point to people was very important to say, nah, your model isn't trained and done. Like your model's never done. You need, you know, you need to plan for like a continuous process of improving it. And ideally you also want the model in the loop somewhere at some point at least, because, uh, you know, you want to see, am I actually producing stuff that's reasonable? And, um, you know, you can do that in different ways. You can actually have the model present, um, you know, its suggestions and you can, um, you know, annotate them and give feedback and evaluate that, your model that way. You can also, one workflow um, we thought of is, well, what if you actually just focus on, you know, a basic uncertainty sampling, even something very simple where you say, hey, let's just see which text categories have scores closest to 0 0.5, because that means that it, it can go either way. And no matter how you correct it, you always have a gradient to update and you have the biggest gradient to update with in either direction because, um, you know, you're, you're in the middle, right? So there's always something to learn from. And um, that's another, you know, approach uh, could take. Um, and also, um, yeah, just, just allowing people to quickly spin up these experiments and not having every update you make to your model will be a whole bureaucratic process because that's also often what it ends up like i mean developers want to develop you don't want to 
have five meetings before you can start on your model. You want to just like write code. And that's something people definitely appreciate that like, great, I can get to work. I don't have to schedule meetings. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we always, um, end with kind of two open-ended questions and I, I want to make sure I give you both a chance to answer these. So, um, the, the first question is, um, when you look at, um, kind of all of machine learning, including like, you know, production stuff, is there like a topic that comes to mind that people, um, should be thinking about more than they are? I think for me personally, and I think everybody who knows me in the NLP domain knows this, is um, is, is probably normalization or entity linking. And this is also um, one of the models that I worked um, that I, that I worked on for Spacey. So basically, if you have a text and you've already um, been able to um, annotate something as being a person or a location or an organization or whatnot, that's fine and that's interesting. But you also want to know what exactly is it. So being able to give it some unique identity preferably from a um, you know, database or knowledge source somewhere. And for me, this is, this is really a crucial step in, in NLP because it, it kind of links your text-based analysis because all of, all of the other steps or a lot of the other steps are just based on the text itself. And it, it links that to you know, the outside world and uh, an external knowledge base that you can then use to sort of integrate your textual knowledge with um, other information from databases. Um, because, for instance, if, if I think back about my uh, bio-NLP background, there is a lot of interactions, protein-protein interactions known in databases people record them as structured information. And then there's another set of interactions that are only written in articles. And you would be amazed at how little the overlap is between the two. So you really want to be able to integrate them and, and sort of combine the, the both sources of information. And so for me, entity linking or normalization is, you know, it's, it's a very difficult challenge. And um, uh, we've definitely not solved it in Spacey yet, um, or it hasn't been solved in general yet. But I think this is an extremely interesting and um, crucial even a step in NLP. Yeah. No, and it's definitely also the type of tasks that we want to uh, make easier and uh, provide likewise uh, for people um, to do. Um, okay, so my turn. It might sound a bit basic, but um, the idea of really just sitting down and reasoning about what the fuck you're doing. Like, just this, <laughs> you know, this, I mean, it's like, it's like, oh, reasoning. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying, oh, people are not thinking. It's But it's, it's more like often it can be quite refreshing to... <laughs> Um, often I see people overcomplicating things or feeling like they intimidated by all this machine learning stuff. Um, and, and it's like, okay, so that, what are you trying to solve? What are you trying to do? What makes sense? What can a computer do? What can a computer not do? What's logical? And there's... <laughs> What's so funny about reasoning? <laughs> I don't know. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, it's clearly not talk, <laughs> talked about enough, I feel. <laughs> Sitting down and fucking reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> we, all should, we all could stand to do more of that. I, oh, I should, I should yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's a great slogan. Not just in an yeah. yeah, Actually, just in life. Good just life think life, about yeah. stuff. Yeah. But I do think some of that really also defines how we do things and how, also how we think about running the company. And just like, I don't know, people, often, people spend way too much time just looking at data and trying to infer stuff that makes no sense and that could be much better solved if you just sit down and think about it and are like, what makes sense? Should I do this? And not like, ooh, I did some, collected some data and it says I should do this. And it's like, well, but this could mean all kinds of things. It's like, does, is it logical? No. Okay, then don't. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and, awesome. and I think then once, once you're there, like it can be refreshing, as I said, because you're like, oh, suddenly things make sense. 
suddenly things are doable. Suddenly your problems are solvable because you're not stuck in like some weird, um, you know, technical rut, but you're actually thinking about what you should be doing. Is there a specific story that you're thinking of? Is, <laughs> is there a recent, like client interaction that you want to share? With? We did have people in the past who were like, well, I want my system to be 90% accurate. Mm. And then we're like, on what? And they're like, no, no, 90% accurate. And <laughs> it's like, well, that like, what, what you're doing with it, with your system will decide about how <laughs> successful your system is. And um, that's what you want to measure. And that's what you want to focus on. And I could see how this sometimes gets lost if you don't not thinking about it, and if all you follow is like research, which is um, has kind of a slightly different objective, because you're comparing algorithms. Yeah. Well, I do, I do think you want to kind of. I mean, I don't know. I, I always feel like with this stuff, you you know, when you're thinking about a big picture, you it's easier to think clearly, and then you kind of push it down to like a sub problem, like okay, I'm trying to optimize accuracy here, and it's really easy to get lost as like an individual human, you know, on the, um, you know, just trying to optimize accuracy, but then in an organization where, you know, you can't just like run thought experiments in your brain, you have to actually like talk to people. I think it's, it's even easier for people to go down, um, these optimization, micro optimization paths and, and very hard for people to pull themselves out. So, uh, yeah. And it's also often, it is also the fun part. Like it's kind of this sort of this pyramid where like at the bottom is like data. And then at some point you have the code and then you have like hyperparameters and people are like, Ooh, I can't wait to tune my hyperparameters. Um, right. Although <laughs> it's like, the new spacey library does support tuning hyperparameters very well. Uh, so. Yeah, we do. We do expose them, but we also have to say that like we've actually, that's another thing of optimizing for more stable industry use cases that hyperparameters have never mattered that much for the models we implemented and still I mean now they do a bit more with the transformers that are just more like sen sensitive to that but like we've always tried to also design things in a way that they're not like um you know so dependent on these really brittle like random numbers you set there where it's like oh 0 0.01 yeah no wonder it's not working it should have been like 0 0.001 right. you know that, that sort of that, that's that's not productive that's something you know that shouldn't have to exist so i mean that um, is still a lot of fun though ines <laughs> yeah yeah but it's just like oh this i love playing with my zero zero one <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also all these this this common wisdom of like oh what should i use for the dropout 0.2 why i don't know it works <clears throat> but it's also i think it's good to also talk about this because you know from the outside if people are looking at like the field a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that is genuinely complex and abstract and difficult, but like they also, a lot of the things, you know, that are not as deep as, you know, they might seem. And then, you know, we, we, we don't know all the answers and, you know, sometimes we're just changing a number until like something comes out that we like. When you look at your experience and your clients and, and your experience on your own of kind of taking things from sort of like, here's the thing I want, you know, I'm starting to build a model to like, okay, it's deployed in production and like helping someone or helping some some process. Um, I guess where are the unexpected places that these things get get hard? Like I think people sort of know maybe I need to do a little hyperparameter tuning, but you're saying, okay, maybe that's not as important, you know, as we thought. Um, and I think when you actually look at what ML practitioners do day to day, it's not all training models. So cleaning data. What else yeah. what else is there? Yeah. I mean, what what do you what do you all see as the as the issues? I think cleaning data, OCR. It's like, you know, yeah, it's nice if you have everything in um, actual plain text, um, but often you have like a PDF that like someone scanned 10 years ago. More generally, just, just keep keeping the things together because software is just hard. There are all these moving parts. There are all these moving parts in the ecosystem. 
that all depend on each other. Everything, like, I mean, maybe it's because uh, the, the whole, like, DevOps and um, infrastructure stuff is, has never been something that I was particularly into. I don't think you've ever been into that either. And, like, I, I think it's, it's not our team's strong, like, so, but um, all that shit where you have to wait forever to see something fail. You know, you like run something and then you wait and then half an hour later you've seen it fail and then you try something else and then it runs again. And then two days later, you're like still debugging. Yeah. One of the challenges to me is what I wasn't expecting um, when I started, you know, um, because we follow up on the issue tracker for Spacey and then we look at the kind of problems that people run into. So what I wasn't expecting is that sometimes people just try to uh, I guess, solve, for instance, a named entity recognition task with a text categorization um, mm-hmm. pipeline. And um, it's often you can actually cast different NLP uh, problems as in, in different ways so that you can solve them in, in, in different fashions. And I think it's it's sometimes difficult to communicate, like, what is the ideal way of going forward? Or, or I think, yeah trying to explain why you shouldn't use this or maybe you want rule a rule-based system for some cases and you don't need all of this uh, ML, ML uh, training. Um, and I think that that's one of the, I think, challenges also a little bit for, for Spacey because you have a lot of um, possibilities and opportunities. There's rule-based components, there's uh, machine learning training, a lot of it in there as well. Um, but you kind of need to know how to how to use the exact or how to use the right tool for your specific challenge, and we can never know what the exact challenge is for all the users. So this is this is I think very difficult to, yeah. to guide. Actually, that, that ties well. in ties back in with the reasoning about stuff that like <laughs> oh you have yeah you have I don't know you have, or like we had you know there, there's some there's some cases where okay um, one example we sometimes show in talks is um, okay imagine you're trying to extract stuff from police reports about um, the victim where the crime happened and like, I don't know, some, some other details around it. Um, there are lots of ways you can model that. And one would be, okay, you do it end-to-end, you label a name as victim and then you label something else as crime location. That's like quite the obvious way. Maybe that works. Maybe if you have a big enough language model, you can, you know, you can actually learn that. Um, but often this doesn't really work necessarily. So, um, you know, then you have to think about, okay, how, how else can I um, decompose uh, this problem. Maybe I should just predict whether a text is about crime. Then I can predict the locations in it. Then I can use other information I have about the text to resolve that, um, figure out that's a location, that's the crime location. Maybe that's where a parser could come in handy because you can look at the syntax, especially in a language like English. There are only so many ways you can express a thing. There are only so many verbs that are used. Um, if you cover the most common verbs, you've covered 95% of um, all constructions that um, are likely going to occur. And, um, you know, maybe, yeah, it turns out it always misrecognizes some city because it, um, you know, the model wasn't trained on data um, that had many mentions of that. Yeah, you could retrain it. Maybe you just want to put one regular expression in that makes sure that this thing is always recognized because mm-hmm. you know the answer. Um, so there are, many, there are many ways, you know, you can go wrong. And I guess also just pe- people still like this idea of just downloading something off the internet and it just like magically working for whatever complex specific thing they think of. And I do, you know, yeah, there's now with a lot of these language models, of course you only want to train them once, download them and then fine tune them or reuse them. But, um, you know, you should always want to train a model. Like it's not, the question is not, do I have to train a model? It's like, you can train a model now. It's like, you know, it's great. It works. It's, 
you know, you're going to make your life so much easier. Like you should want to train a model and not <laughs> hope you, you don't. I mean, if, if there's something you want to predict, uh-huh. if not, you probably shouldn't. We often tell people like, look, you probably don't want to be using machine learning for this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Oh, someone, actually someone did ask me once. Um, they, they had to implement, uh, they wanted to implement NER for digits. And I was like, wait, like actual, you know, num- just numbers, sequences of numbers and uh, in text. And I'm like, why, why do you want to predict that? That's like, you know, just, you know, you can match that with a regular expression. It's like, yeah, but my, my, my boss wants me to use machine learning. And wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, God, dude, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, stuff like that definitely um, happens as well. Of people, yeah, mo- trying to model things that, you know, don't need to be modeled. It's funny, you know, I, met, I think 15 years ago when I was like starting, you know, like a labeling company, I felt like um, people were sort of thinking of machine learning as like the scary science project that they didn't want to do. And now it's like they want to like add machine learning to like a ridiculous, yeah. like easy rule-based task. It's so funny the way things change. Yeah, but I guess it's also, it's what people get paid for. I mean, sometimes, I mean, there's some rare cases where I'm like, God, how... You know, some, some some people who who express like very um, unfriendly attitudes on the internet, um, who have jobs where they likely get paid a ton um, to uh, do machine learning um, and hassling us about um, pretty basic stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, I can see how everyone wants to work in machine learning because um, you know it's a, probably a nice job, but like, um, yeah, it doesn't always mean that like. <laughs> what you're doing there is particularly <laughs> good but yeah well cool i mean thanks so much for the time and we'll put a link to the the new spacey library in the in the show notes and, and maybe you can have some you put in some tutorials to help people get started if they yeah. want to give it a try cool. train a train a digit recognizer don't forget the hyperparameter uh, yeah don't forget to do a wide hyperparameter search exactly (laughs) no if you're lucky you can get to 95% that's I would say pretty good on any machine learning task awesome well thanks so much thanks for having us thanks when we first started making these videos we didn't know if anyone would be interested or or want to see them but we made them for fun and we started off by making videos that would teach people and now we get these great interviews with real industry practitioners. And I love making this available to the whole world so everyone can watch these things for free. The more feedback you give us, the better stuff we can produce. So please subscribe, leave a comment, engage with us. We really appreciate it.